morning. Happy Friday. Is it? Maybe not if you're a Jays fan or if you have allergies. I don't know how pollen counts work, but it's, uh, it is, it was insane on my walk here. I even have allergies and the pollen's too high. Toronto Blue Jays are uh, going through it. No way around it. This is Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, loaded Friday show for you today as uh, we try to sort through things like uh, the Blue Jays calling a players only meeting because they've dropped nine of 11 and are something like two and a hundred against the American League East over the last couple weeks. Try to sort through that. Alec Manoa's struggles continue. We'll try to sort through that. We no longer have the pleasing eye thing of the American League East and American League Central standings flowing neatly into each other like it's one 10-team division uh, because the Toronto Blue Jays are now worse than the Minnesota Twins, who they'll see for a three-set this weekend in Minnesota. A loaded show to help go through all of that. Uh, we'll have Do Young Park, Twins reporter for MLB.com, on with us to help preview the Twins side of the series. Matt Devlin, who's on the call in place of Dan Schulman all week, uh, joins us from Minnesota a little later. Ricky Romero on with us at 1130. Of course, we talked to Travis Snyder yesterday. Travis Snyder maybe bragging a little bit about his golf game, about his, uh, his Seahawks, about his work as a coach, pitch coach. Ricky Romero needs to respond to all of those things, uh, obviously. Before we get to any of that, though, i got to sort through where the Jays are at. They lose 6-3 yesterday. It was an ugly one. They ground they ground into six double plays over the course of a four-game series. They threatened a little bit late last night but, or yesterday afternoon, but never really in a, in a way that seemed all that likely to, to turn in their favor. Um, when you load the bases up and your pinch hit option to remove Dalton Varsho from a lefty-on-lefty situation is career light-hitting middle infielder Ernie Clement. Things are not in a very good way. Then Vladimir Guerrero Jr. grounds out with said bases loaded, uh, leaving that one as a 6-3 loss. The story, of course, was Alec Manoa, another one that he struggled through, only got through three innings. Uh, the bullpen picking him up in a big way. Trevor Richards, three clean innings on 32 pitches. I uh, was pretty tremendous. Adam Simber and Tim Mesa also helping keep it together. But another tough one for Manoa. Five runs, four of them earned, five walks, three innings pitched. Only 44 of his 87 pitches were for strikes, so about a 50-50 split, and the Rays stole seven bases. So a lot of what could go wrong went wrong. The Jays didn't do themselves any favors defensively in a big first inning. Kevin Kiermeyer fails to cut a route off in a, in a way we'd normally see from Kevin Kiermeyer, ends up in a Wander Franco triple. Uh, later in that inning, Manoa gets a strikeout. Alejandro Kirk drops the third strike and does not show the requisite urgency to throw the runner out of first base. Things continue that way with an extra base runner. Then Kevin Biggio at second base bobbles a tailor-made double play ball. It ends up being just a fielder's choice. Uh, the inning continues once again. Now, none of that is to say it wasn't on Manoa, because if you walk consecutive batters on four pitches, obviously you carry some of that. And I mentioned five runs, four of them were earned. So it's not all free of criticism there. There was also an Alejandro Kirk throwing error on a double steal uh, from Walls and Rayleigh in the third before Manoa got chased. There's a lot to sort through there. Now, as much as we can put a lot of the way that game started on Alec Manoa, I'm sure he would put it on himself. The Jays also only scored three runs again. In 14 of their last 16 games, they've scored five runs or fewer. They're 12-2 and two 
if they score six or more, they're just not doing that uh, anywhere near often enough. They're 14 and 24 when they score five runs or fewer, uh, and they have done that pretty much uniformly for over two weeks now. That 20-run outburst on Tuesday seems like a million years ago and seems like the outlier to end all outliers. The Toronto Blue Jays might be melting down. And so I told producer Jeff as a party, get me someone who knows about melting down. Get me the meltdown expert, the king of meltdowns himself. Joined now by Jonah Bierenbaum of The Score. Jonah, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well, pal. How are you? Thank you for that introduction. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's what you are. It's what I, you know, there are uh, peacetime consiglieries and there are wartime consiglieries. <laughs> there are good time radio guests and there are everything is falling apart radio guests. Uh, I, fa- I fancy you the second, Jonah. I guess, man, given the way things have gone lately, where, where do we even start? What, what's top of mind for you this morning as uh, the struggles continue for the Blue Jays? Oh, man, things are decidedly bleak. I mean, this is your show, so if I had to describe the current state of the team using a pop song, (laughs) I'd have to go with Dark Days. I mean, of late, it's just been an incredible cocktail of incompetence. Take your pick. They're failing to execute in every facet of the game. Uh, Incredibly sloppy baseball and, and very few silver linings to pick out from this recent stretch. Yeah, we'll try to end this this segment on some silver linings, but I don't think anyone wants to hear it top of show. Uh, you mentioned the sloppy play, and you can get there with the bats struggle or, or you know, one time through the rotation, the, the starting pitching isn't there, or one starter is having a rough time. It, it hasn't been good, but we can at least understand some of that stuff. What is harder to understand is that the talking point all offseason was, well, this team has to do the little things better, the attention to detail better. They have to improve as a defensive and base running outfit. Now, on the season as a whole, the Jays, if you look at some of the metrics, if you, if you believe in um, defensive run save, they're right near the top defensively. If you, if you like Fangraph's base running metric, they're a top 10 base running team. But during this skid, they have looked like a team who's not entirely familiar with the rules of baseball. They're getting picked off as pinch runners. They're getting doubled off on infield line drives. They're getting caught stealing. They are dropping balls at first base. They're dropping third strikes. Um, is, that, is that lack of attention to detail on the little things the most surprising part to you uh, of this skid? It is, yeah, and it's it's particularly surprising because through the first month of the season, it really looked like they had tightened up in those areas, and they had frankly overhauled the team to bring in guys who were known for executing in you know those areas and, and doing the little things and not making those unforced errors that have been so incredibly pervasive over the last couple of weeks. So, you know, maybe it's just the the, the compounding effect of all this losing is wearing on guys and they're frustrated and they're taking their frustrations out into the field. And, you know, that's, that's leading to even more mistakes and it's all just kind of snowballing, but it is uh, rather surprising, you know, especially when guys like Kiermaier are making mistakes, you know, that's, that's obviously uh, his bread and butter is executing defensively. And uh, you know, guys who are coming into pinch run are then getting uh, picked off like that. Just, it just can't happen. And especially given the competitive climate in the American league East, those mistakes are so profoundly costly. Uh, it's just something that can't be done. And if they expect to, you know, contend at this point, uh, you know, that th- that's just the kind of baseball that they can't continue to play. Yeah, it's one thing to boot the ball around against the Oakland Athletics or the Kansas City Royals right now, but when you're playing a Baltimore Orioles team that's 16 games above 500 or a Tampa Bay Rays team that has outscored opponents by 114 runs already, uh, you don't really get 
the opportunity. You don't have the margin for error to play anything but your best baseball. Now, that seemed to be the talking point over the weekend against Baltimore. Um, you know, the Orioles had that kind of statement of, hey, was was the Saturday extra inning win a statement game? You know, you you lock up the series on the road, and they, they said, no, Sunday's the statement game because we're going to sweep them, and then they do that. You hear John Schneider say enough is enough when it comes to, you know, their, their tough luck and their inability to hit with runners in scoring position, and then Tuesday very, very briefly looked like it was potentially a rallying point, a 20 to one victory. But now we're at the point where yesterday the Toronto blue Jays after the game are having a behind closed door players only meeting. Now, even if Matt Chapman didn't seem to love that, the news of that got out and John Schneider revealed that to media after the game, uh, I think it says a lot that we're already at the point of the season here, just shy of a third of the way in where uh, a behind closed doors, players only meeting uh, has been deemed necessary. Now it's a long baseball season, Jonah teams will go through this and we'll hear about, you know, most competitive teams having their kind of moments like this or, or needing to sit down and hash things out, but it happening this early, it happening so quickly after what seemed like a potential get right game on Tuesday. Um, what does it signal to you that, that the, the veterans on this team, like a Matt Chapman had to call that meeting yesterday? Well, it reflects a sense of urgency. And while we're early in the context of the baseball season, we're not early in the context of the American League East race. They're 10 and a half games back, and it's not even June. They're on the outside looking in on the wild card race. This is a team that was supposed to cruise into the postseason for a second consecutive year and was supposed to be a favorite for the American League East title. So, you know, it, it's not surprising to me that that there's a sense of urgency being felt among the veterans on this team because this season is quickly going off the rails. And frankly, I too would be pissy if I was hitting 198 with a 61 WRC plus in May. So I appreciate Chapman uh, <laughs> being a little bit uh, irascible following, uh, you know, uh, yet another frustrating loss. But, you know, I, I think it was essential that the players uh, communicate amongst themselves about just how important it is that they write the ship immediately because there simply is no more margin for error. There's no more time to waste. Uh, it, you know, if, if they don't write the ship soon, you know, e even the playoffs are going to be something of, of a difficult thing to accomplish. If you look at Fangraph's playoffs, playoff odds, you know, they're under 50% now for the Blue Jays, which if you had told me coming into the season that before June, the Blue Jays had less than a 50-50 chance of making the playoffs, I would have laughed at you. But that's how dire things are. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, given how competitive the American League and the American League East is, uh, they just simply can't afford to continue playing baseball like this. And that is obviously incumbent on the players uh, who, who, you know, uh, simply have to turn it around. And that was really the, the central thesis of Chapman's uh, communique, which is that we have to start playing better. And it's as simple as that. It is as simple as that. And, and I'm glad you laid out the, the playoff odds. You know, it's a little early to look at the actual percentages, but the context of that is that not only is the American League East really good, uh, the American League West has a team in the Texas Rangers that is at every bit as dangerous as the Rays in terms of run differential so far. Uh, they're 31 and 18. They've outscored opponents by 112 runs and they're tied exactly with the Rays in terms of offense so far. Uh, and then you have Houston who are always around the picture. The Angels who, yeah, the other shoe's probably going to drop at some point because it's the Los Angeles Angels. And then the Mariners who, um, you know, took two or three, two of two off the Blue Jays in the wild card last year. There's obviously a lot of talent there. Every team that I just mentioned there also has a better record than the Toronto Blue Jays so far. The Jays are 10th of 15 
American League teams in record right now. So it's not only catching up in the American League East and taking care of your own business. Something those playoff odds indicate is that you've got at least four teams to jump. And we can joke about the Angels will come back down to earth or maybe Texas, you know, something happens there because they've just been so hot at the dish so far. But to look at the standings and be like, oh, yeah, that's going to happen for four or five or six teams that are ahead of you is pretty unrealistic. The Jays are in a spot where, you know, they've played basically 500 ball through the first third of the season. They're going to have to play something north of probably 600 ball the rest of the way to be really in, um, you know, that wild card mix there. So let's take yeah. a, let's take a, a look back at, at some of the specifics from yesterday. Be, we we touched on some of the you know the mistakes, the errors, the drop third strikes, the headline item, and we'll get to the offense because that's been a more consistent issue. But the headline item from yesterday is, of course, once again that Alec Manoa struggled. He goes. Uh, only three innings. He throws 87 pitches and only half of them are strikes. Jonah, I I pulled a a baseball reference query. So pitchers who have thrown 85 pitches this year and had a strike rate as poor as Manoa's was yesterday. Well, Madison Bumgarner has been DFA'd. Mitch Keller hit the IL. Butos down in AAA. Uh, Edward Cabrera and Blake Snell are, are still kicking around. But Alec Manoa, the only player to have done it twice, and of the other five who have done it, three of them are not in the major leagues right now. Um, man, I, where are you at with, with the Alec Manoa? I, I know Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic released her concern index this morning. So we're talking, I, I guess, one to five here, five being you're panicking and he should be, you know, uh, off to the, the Phantom IL or something like that. One being complete faith he'll be next year's Alec, or last year's Alec Manoa again soon. What is your concern level with Alec Manoa? Oof, four and a half. Oof. I mean, it's just been such a stunningly comprehensive regression from him. And you mentioned, obviously, his inability to throw strikes yesterday, but that was not an anomaly for the season. He has the sixth lowest zone rate among qualified starters. He's consistently failing to get ahead of hitters. He has the second worst first pitch strike rate among qualified starters. Uh, it's It's been ugly. I mean, you know, the, the command and control are both obviously worse. It's not just his ability to put pitches where he wants to. It's his ability to throw strikes. And then the stuff is worse too. The velocity's down about a tick from last year. There's way less horizontal movement on his slider and he's just transformed into a completely different pitcher. And while obviously he was never going to replicate the numbers that he put up last year, there were multiple signifiers that indicated regression was coming. I don't think anyone foresaw him falling off in so many different areas. And that's what makes diagnosing and ultimately fixing him so difficult because there's so many different things going on. The stuff is worse. The control and command are worse. And ultimately, uh, most times out this season, he just hasn't given the Blue Jays that good of a chance to win. And you alluded to this also uh, in your introduction, but and this is ultimately secondary, but he's way too easy for opposing base runners to exploit. This, uh, this is obviously a shared responsibility between him and his catchers, but for for the season, opponents are 12 for 13 stealing cool. bases off of him. And for a guy who's not missing many bats, you can't afford to let runners just get into scoring position with impunity. So, you know, I, I wish that I could sort of pick out, uh, identify a, a silver lining or something really encouraging, but, uh, you know, to, to sort of build off of. But it's just been a, a, an altogether unmitigated disaster for Manoa to start the season. And Frankly, I don't even know how Pete Walker, uh, you know, starts to go about trying to get him right. 
No, it, it's a tough thing. Like you said, it's difficult to diagnose when there are a hundred little threads. And, and I remember back to fairly early in the season, uh, a piece from Shai Davidi at sportsnet.ca where he talked to Manoa about this a little bit and the velocity was down to start the season. And they realized that it was something with how he was hinging his back hip that was sapping his velocity. And when they fixed that, then his shoulders were getting a little out of alignment uh, through his delivery. So he was having trouble hitting his spots and then they fixed that. But then there was something with the way his head was tilting where his eyes just went off the plate a little bit and even seeing something like that and this was early on in the struggle this was like two three bad starts in I was actually leading into the one really good start he had this year where him and Garrett Cole went seven like traded seven shutout innings uh, at Yankee Stadium earlier in the season and even that was okay well you fix one thing and it presents another problem and you fix that and it presents another problem and now you see you know okay the slider doesn't have as good a shape. Can you ease off throwing the slider a little bit? And we saw him go away from the slider because he went, you know, whatever the Chris Black stat was, 65 straight sliders without a swing and miss or something. And then the fastball is not locating. So, okay, if you can't get your four-seamer over the plate, and you mentioned the zone percentage, the other problem with lacking command is that his edge rate is way, way down. So being able to put it on the black where the, the hitter has a tough decision to make, all, so many of his pitches are very obviously a ball or a meatball. And that's a, that's a tough way to live. We even saw yesterday that um, he threw his four-seamer 19 times. It didn't get a single ball in play because they basically didn't swing at it. They were like, okay, well, we'll watch it and we'll wait for, you know, it, whether they were sitting spin for the slider or they were just waiting for the sinking version of the fastball, whatever, they weren't offering at the, at the bad four-seamers. So I, I'm reaching a little bit here because I don't know, like you said, I don't know where you start. We've seen Manoa move around his placement uh, on the, on the rubber as well. You know, he had gotten um, more to the third base side. Now he's shifting or sorry, he got more to the first base side, shifting back a little bit to the third base side. Now this seems like a guy who could use a breather and use a moment to reset and try to get back to who, you know, try to f almost forget all the other things and just like, okay, what, what is instinctual for me? And let's go back to that and build from there. The issue Jonah is that if you were to put Alec Manoa on say a phantom IL stint, if you were to do a, a bit more of a nuclear option and, and send him down to AAA to work on things, there is no next man up. Nobody. Mitch yeah. White just got moved to the 60-day IL. His rehab time has been reset because he had a bit of a setback. Hyunjin Ryu did a bullpen yesterday. I know that was a nice vibes boost and everything. He is targeting post-All-Star break. Nobody at AAA who is starting is pitching particularly well. And the one guy who has turned things around a little bit is Yosfer Zulueta. And that's because he's pitching out of the bullpen more instead of just starting. Um, man, what do you do here if you're the Blue Jays? I think you have to keep running him out there uh, on account of the dearth of viable replacements. Zach Thompson is getting lit up in Buffalo. Casey Lawrence is getting lit up in Buffalo. As Shockers. You to, Shockers. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. There's just no one who can come up and you can confidently project to give you a more competitive outing than Alec Manoa, uh, you know, as bad as things have looked. Um, so I think, I think you know, it, it's imperative that between his starts now, they're, they're focusing on, uh, you know, re really, really intently on getting him right on ensuring that, you know, his mechanics are uh, where they were last year, on ensuring that, you know, he, he's doing a better job of, of executing, you know, all three of, all four of his pitches, um, 
And, and, and you know, look, I, I'm not a I'm not a pitch doctor. I'm not Pete Walker. But what I do know is that you know, in, in terms of shape, in terms of velocity, in terms of location, uh, his entire repertoire is very much dissimilar to what it was last year when he was one of the most effective starters in the American League. And you know, uh, but but having said that, uh, ultimately he's the best option that the Blue Jays have right now um, to, to to continue starting. And I think they just have to keep throwing him out there and hope that between his starts. He can figure stuff out and that that'll start translating into games and into more competitive outings because fundamentally he's not really competing. There's just, uh, you know, not enough compete level on uh, all of his pitches right now, but hopefully, uh, you know, he can find a way to turn that around because the Blue Jays absolutely need him. Yeah, and you mentioned some of the options there and just how about everyone's favorite uh, potential call-up when they sign him to a minor league contract. Drew Hutchison has walked 24 batters in 30 innings at AAA. Uh, I never really thought that was the solution, but it's been particularly bad. It's honestly a case where on merit the most likely call-up might be a Bowden Francis who's not even on the 40-man and who, you know, was, I think he got DFA'd at one point last year after after having two-thirds of an inning uh, at the major league level. So that's how bleak it is. So I'm with you that that you probably have to continue giving Manoa opportunities in the rotation. You also have uh, the rare for this team off day coming up on Monday. Maybe an extra day of rest helps him out. We, we know some guys benefit from that. I uh, don't think you can hang your hat on that uh, too long. The other thing the Blue Jays could do to help Alec Manoa is score some runs. Score some runs. They have yep. not done that. I, I mentioned off the top that in 14 of their last 16 games, they've scored five runs or fewer. Even in today's offensive environment, that is criminally low. They're 12 and two when they can score six or more, which means uh, some quick math. They are 14 and 23 when they don't, when they score five runs or fewer. And that is more so than the record. It's just the frequency with which they're scoring five runs or fewer. Um, That's alarming. Kevin Gosman throws today. He is getting fewer than three runs of support in an average start so far this season. That, That has nothing to do with Gosman. It's just random, but it does let you know how frequently this Jays offense has not been able to hit. And Jonah, I'm curious how you feel about that truth, because it is a truth. Like we've seen it. You can look at the game logs um, and, and the 20 run outburst affects this a little bit, but it's one game in a 51 game sample. This is still a team that ranks sixth in the league in weighted runs created plus, which puts everyone on the same level and adjusts for park factors and things like that. Um, they're not, you know, they don't rank too terribly in a lot of offensive categories. Their OPS at this point is actually better than it was this time last year. And even the thing with runners in scoring position where they've been a disaster, their league average when it comes to hitting with runners in scoring position for the season as a whole. And again, that one game helped the numbers, but it's a it's 2% of the sample. It's not going to hurt the It's not going to swing the numbers too much. How do we marry the fact that this team on the whole, hasn't hit that poorly, but from a results side, they've been a disaster for upwards of two weeks here. Yeah, it's hard to reconcile. And I mean, to me, I think their recent struggles are are reflective of a couple of things. And and one is obviously uh, their failure of late to execute with Barnes in scoring position. Mm-hmm. It's been extremely costly. There's no denying that. But we also know that situational hitting is not a replicable skill. These things ebb and flow. Sometimes you go through stretches where balls don't drop in when you need them to. But with a big enough sample, their numbers with runners in scoring position will normalize and will eventually at least approximate their context 
index neutral numbers. So, you know, as agonizing it is every time they come up with a runner on first and second or bases loaded and they ground into a double play, you know, that just happens over the course of a baseball season. And sometimes it happens for extended stretches over the course of a baseball season and with a big enough sample, it will normalize. They will start getting big hits when they need to. So that to me, isn't, you know, necessarily a massive concern to me. The bigger concern is that they're just not getting enough production from too many of their core guys, George Springer, Dalton Varsho, Alejandro Kirk. These are guys who, if they're not producing, the blue Jays are not going to have an elite offense. Their offense will still be good, but they're not going to be elite. And, you know, maybe that is a problem given the state of their pitching staff, which is more solid than great. Now, Springer, obviously, he's been improving dramatically over the last few weeks. And even when he was struggling in April, the batted ball metrics, the, the contact quality metrics all suggested that positive regression was coming. I'm not terribly concerned about your bigger concern is the production of Dalton Varsho, uh, you know, whom obviously the Blue Jays gave up a ton of long-term value to acquire. And Alejandro Kirk, whose own uh, projections obviously factored into that Varsho deal. It was because of Kirk's offensive ceiling and his profile that the Blue Jays felt comfortable parting with Gabriel Moreno. Well, two months into the <laughs> season, Kirk, who was almost 30% better than league average offensively last year, has been a league average hitter. And frankly, that's fueled by an inflated walk rate that probably isn't sustainable if he continues to not do damage. So, you know, uh, there's obviously, uh, you know, a, a couple things to be concerned about but for me the bigger concern is that there are too many core guys in the lineup who just aren't giving them enough and if that persists you know the Blue Jays are going to go through stretches like this where they're struggling to score five runs where they're struggling to score you know uh, enough runs to win given that their starting pitching has been spotty uh so you know, uh, this stretch has been uh, concerning, but maybe not for the reason that a, a lot of people are freaking out, which is the inability to execute with runs in scoring position. For me, it's just that it's amplified or highlighted that there's too many guys in their lineup who aren't giving them enough. Gabriel Moreno, by the way, whose OPS is about 50 points higher than Alejandro Kirk's right now as well, in addition to the uh, the extra defensive value there. Of course, got to take the long sample, and they acquired Dalton Varsho with the long view. This is a guy who's going to be a part of this program uh, for years, but he's going through it right now to the extent that, I mean, we don't even need to get this micro necessarily when, when it's been, you know, 14 of 16 games and such an extended stretch. But, I mean, Jonah, if we were going to boil down what the offensive struggles have looked like to one moment pinch hitting for your number two hitter, Dalton Varsho for a lefty lefty to avoid a lefty lefty situation. And the bat that you have available to pinch hit for him is a career minor league utility guy with a career 525 OPS uh, at the major league level over about 300 plate appearances. Could you think of a better avatar for where this offense is at than Ernie Clement pinch hitting for Dalton Varsho in a high leverage spot? No, it, it truly epitomized uh, where the Blue Jays are at right now offensively, how desperate they are to uh, to try to eke out offense. However, they think that they can. You know, personally, I wouldn't have pinch hit for Varsho in that situation, certainly not with Ernie Clement, uh, <laughs> but I appreciate John Schneider's desperation. You know, Varsho does not hit lefties particularly well. Um, having said that, does Ernie Clement hit major league left-handers particularly well? Uh, I don't know, because there isn't a robust sample there. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's perfect. I think representative of where the Blue Jays are at, how desperate they are uh, and how uh, nothing, nothing is working for them right now. Yeah, it would be, uh, 
it would be hard to find a situation where uh, I'd be thrilled about that pinch hit situation. Well, I guess it's not that hard because Tuesday would have been a fine time to make that thing when you're up 19 <laughs> runs. Uh, other than that, it's a tough one. Uh, Jonah, before I let you go, let's try to leave with a little bit of optimism here and if there's ever a safe bet for optimism uh during a week for the jays it's usually kevin gosman's start day uh what are you liking from kevin gosman right now could you think of a better guy to, to have on the mound as you're trying to get it right absolutely not he's the guy the blue jays need on the mound tonight now I, i'm sorry to belabor the negativity the blue jays actually haven't won a gosman start since april i know but that's because not they don't on him. score they don't score exactly ever. that's <laughs> that's not on him he's allowed only four runs over his last 21 innings uh, he's been exceptional once again this year he's third in the majors in war uh his fip is below two and a half naturally his his era is considerably higher than that because he's run afoul of the baseball gods and his babip is inflated just like it was last year uh but no i mean you know you, you there's no one on this blue jays staff that you would have more confidence handing the ball to than kevin gossman and it should be noted that the twins are down carlos correa so this mm-hmm. is a, a depleted twins lineup and you know uh if if there's one guy that you would want out there to sort of uh right the ship and and halt the losing it's uh it's kevin gossman the minnesota twins who are a league average offense uh, a lot of their success fueled by the number two pitching staff in baseball by earned run average. Uh, we'll talk more about that with Do Young Kim uh, in, uh, in a, or sorry, Do Young Park uh, in a little bit here. Uh, Jonah, thanks so much for taking the time out this morning, buddy. I, I appreciate it. Glad we can uh, work through these things together and hopefully uh, better situations to analyze next time you're on. Definitely. Thanks for having me, pal. Jonah Bierenbaum of The Score, a great follow at Bierenball on Twitter as well. Things not going well for the Toronto Blue Jays. I got a question in my Twitter DMs. At what point in this season is it no longer appropriate to be making small sample size excuses for the Jays? Um, To that, I would say, I don't think anyone's making small sample excuses. Uh, The situational hitting sample stuff is just, that's, you know, the nature of splitting 50 games up into smaller and smaller samples. And I've referenced this a couple times, but at this time last year, the Jays were also really, really poor with runners in scoring position. And then the rest of the season, they were the best team in baseball with runners in scoring position. I'm not saying that's going to happen this time because the process hasn't been as strong this year as it was last year. But just that, especially when you take a small-ish sample and chop it into smaller samples, uh, there's more room for noise. So I don't think anyone should be using it's early, it's a small sample as an excuse for the Blue Jays. There's some context there with the context-specific stats, uh, but that keeps nobody warm at night. You can't throw that, uh, you can't throw that log on the fire. Uh, it is context, but it's not particularly optimistic context. Uh, the Jays have no choice but to turn it around and turn it around soon. Other less they have more and more closed door players meetings. They'll try to get things right against the Minnesota twins. They sit atop the AL central at 26 and 24. That's half a game better than the blue Jays. Um, they have a run differential that's significantly better than the blue Jays. Now, how much of that is beating up on AL central teams? Probably a good amount. Every other team in the AL central is a disaster and has a huge negative run differential, even though they get to play each other a bunch. Uh, it's not a very good division, but the Toronto blue Jays are not playing like a very good baseball team right now uh let's take a break when we come back do young park twins reporter at mlb.com and two-time jeopardy contestant we'll ask him about that a little bit too uh but we'll see uh what the situation is with carlos correa and his plantar fasciitis what the trickle down could be from there and we'll get to know a couple of these twin starters that we're going to see 
on the weekend. Uh, Doe Young Park joins us next as Jay's Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590 and Sports at 360. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That is music you might hear this weekend if the Twins closer is coming out to the mound to throw 104 miles an hour fastball with a 100 mile an hour splitter. Let's get to know the Twins a little bit. Twins reporter at MLB.com. Doe Young Park joins me now. Doe, how's it going, man? Doing all right. How are you doing? I am. I, I would be better if the Blue Jays weren't playing such tremendously poor baseball right now, but excited to have you on. And, I, and I've got to, I know this probably happens every time you do a radio hit or a podcast hit or whatever, but I do have to ask you, you have been on Jeopardy twice, which is the coolest thing. Um, you, you know, you, you got a bit of a strength of schedule issue. Like it was almost like an American league East thing. You run into Amy Schneider in the middle of her 40 game winning streak, uh, man. How cool was it to get to do that a couple times? You know what? It's one of those things where as uh, somebody who really enjoyed trivia growing up and just the competition aspect of it all, it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of cliche to say, but it was really a dream come true. <laughs> and um, it's really taken me behind the scenes and uh, integrated me into this kind of more hardcore trivia community with a lot of really cool people. Uh, I also find it really funny that a Toronto-based uh, station is kind of asking me this. When you have an entire Matea Roach within your city limits, uh, coming off this uh, Jeopardy Masters performance. Uh, yeah. The strength of schedule is what it is, but, you know, just the number of people that I've met and the experiences that I've had through this have been really, really cool. And it's uh, something I'll never be able to forget, really. And look, we, we love Mateo Roach here, good East Coast kid, uh, but I, I, don't, I don't know that uh, the level of um, baseball talk, I don't know that... Mateo knows the Minnesota Twins at quite the same level that you do, so not sure this would uh, this would work there. So you, part, I mean, I, I'd imagine part of what makes you a, a pretty lethal trivia and Jeopardy player is your background. So for anyone who who doesn't know, you were born in Korea, moved to Minnesota when you were four, um, skipped a whole bunch of grades, ended up graduating from Stanford at like nineteen, computer science, chemical engineering. How the hell do you end up being a Twins reporter with that kind of background? Man, you folks really did your research. Jeez. Always. <laughs> I think this is the best uh, this is the best research segment I've ever <laughs> been on on radio. It's a fascinating backstory, uh, though. I, I'm really curious how, I mean, obviously you have a, a lot of options uh, or had a lot of options ahead of you, and obviously the, the passion for baseball must really be there. I, I'm curious what your path was like to, to end up, you know, being a, a Twins reporter for MLB.com instead of going down a, a computer science or chemical engineering or whatever path that you could have gone down. Well, a really long story put short is that when I entered college, I was really, really not about writing. I didn't really have much writing experience. I didn't really enjoy it. And then when I moved to California about 3,000 miles away, I was like, okay, I should probably expand my horizons and just do something that I wouldn't have been comfortable with doing in high school. So I was like, all right, I'll find something to do with writing, maybe student newspaper. I like sports. I like baseball. I like um putting thoughts to paper and reading sports articles and that sort of thing. So I followed my roommate to the student newspaper orientation. I just really caught the bug. 
never really thought of it as a career option until I was nearing graduation and I found a posting for the MLB internship. Uh, I somehow got that. And then one thing led to another. And when they offered me part-time work, I was like, well, I can't say no to this. Hmm. And then when they offered me full-time work off of that, I was like, well, I really can't say no to this. And here we are five and a half years later. And it's a, it's a cool story. And we got to put you in touch at some point with, uh, the, so the Raptors uh, G league team, their, their minor league team is coached by a guy named Eric Curry, who had a, a somewhat similar path where he has a, a PhD in fluid dynamic engineering and ended up on the Raptors analytics team using some of the same skills that that he used in in his engineering background and now he's coaching their g league team uh fascinating how different uh different backgrounds can you know feed us into help us in the sports world even though obviously what we're talking about here is less serious stuff so when it comes to uh an engineering background or if you were trying to design like how much is Johan duran pushing the limits uh, of what, you know, human engineering or or even mechanical engineering, like how ridiculous is it to be able to throw three pitches at 104 miles an hour in for any, for context, 104 miles an hour, Duran threw it three times the other night. Only two players have ever thrown three pitches that fast in their entire careers. Uh, And he did it all in one game, man. How much is he testing the limits uh, of what we thought was possible for a pitcher in baseball? You know what the craziest part of all of this is? It's that we're on, on, on the Twins beat, and I think within Twins fandom as well, the idea of Joan Duran lighting up a radar gun with such obscene speed is just so normal and so accepted to us that it almost took us a couple minutes, maybe even like 10, 15 minutes to register the magnitude of it all when that happened. It's like in the ninth inning, we're writing our stories, you know, fans are leaving and everything like that like a blowout seven to one game so nobody's really watching the game all that closely and then uh, on the way downstairs to the clubhouse after the game ends we're like oh wait how how hard did Durant wait what those are big no, no that can't be right but <laughs> just like seeing the triple digits pop up on the radar gun has just grown so normalized to us which is so funny because this franchise is a franchise that's been so velocity starved when he came up last year and he started like 102 103 we're all like every day this is like oh my goodness this is the craziest thing ever and it's even crazier because i think now that's just kind of what's accepted so when we see 104 on the radar gun our first reaction is just oh yeah of course it's duran and not uh the oh my goodness that kind of reverberated all around the baseball world but it's it's absolutely crazy i remember um Josh Polk, one of their pitching analysts, was positively giddy last year when uh, Duran threw uh, his splitter. He called it a splinker, kind of a splitter-sinker hybrid. When that popped, I think 100.7 miles an hour, which at the time was the only off-speed pitch ever recorded faster than 100. And he's normally a quiet dude. Uh, Josh is normally a quiet dude, and we're standing outside the clubhouse. And he comes up, and he's like, did you see that? 100-mile-an-hour off-speed, only one in big league history. <laughs> And then Duran threw like three of those uh, the other day. And we're all just like, yeah, of course, because that's just what Joe Duran does now. Ridiculous. Uh, I think we really all have to take a step back and reckon with, oh my gosh, this dude is a freak and we don't appreciate this enough. It's ridiculous. Nate, Nate Pearson hit 100.8 on the gun here at Rogers Center on the weekend. I almost fell out of my chair and Johan Duran is throwing splitters at that, at that velocity. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun. So this is, 
you know, you, you mentioned the twins had been velocity starved for a long time. Obviously he's coming out of the back end of that bullpen and that's, you know, that shortens the game for you in a serious way, but this is a pitching staff that has been really good overall. The 340 ERA uh, for the entire staff is number two in all of baseball. And some of these are, are known commodities. We're going to see Pablo Lopez on Saturday. I think everyone, you know, Jays fans, thirsted after him in the trade market for a couple of years enough that we all know uh, enough about him. Uh, even a Tyler Molle or Kenta Maeda who, who are on the IL for this team and, and they still keep cooking, but there are some lesser known quantities in guys like Louis Varland and, and Bailey Ober, who will see Friday and Sunday respectively. Um, what have those guys been able to do to, to patch over a rotation that's had some injury trouble early on? Yeah, that's the craziest thing, too. I had mentioned that this is a traditionally velocity star franchise. One thing it has also been, particularly in the recent past, is the starting rotation has typically been the weakness of this team, especially when it comes to the starting depth. I mean, even within the last couple of years, the Twins have gone out and given like a couple million dollars to like Jay Happ and Matt Shoemaker and Chris Archer and Dylan Bundy to throw just kind of innings for them to just kind of be a body on the mound that eats innings. And this year, they really, really kind of took the lessons of those last couple of years to heart, I think, and really built out this rotation depth to the point where Malley has season-ending Tommy John surgery, and Maeda has been ineffective and injured for most of the season. And then you got guys, like you mentioned, uh, Louis Varland and Bailey Ober as the uh, seven and six starters, respectively, ready to step in. And that's really a luxury they haven't had before. Bailey Ober is a guy that entered the season with a sub four ERA in the big leagues across parts of a couple seasons. And he has just never been ineffective as a big league starter. And they just had to be like, listen, man, we just don't have the space for you to start the season in the big leagues. You're going to be a big league pitcher this season. You're going to be a big part of what we're going to do, but we just don't have room for you on the opening day roster. So you had this like fully formed number three, number four starter, just a good, effective big league starter. He had to start the season in AAA, And then once he's come up, he's just been Bailey over like this. This hasn't really been a revelation for the twins because they knew this guy's just ready to be a solid mid rotation starter. And that's exactly what he's been. Maybe even a little more than that since he's come up to kind of fill the void. And then even beyond that, when they need another pitcher there, they got Louis Varland, who is their two-time reigning minor league pitcher of the year. Uh, I know, I know, fans up in Canada love Canadians, mm. you know, doing big things for the hometown team. We also Minnesotans love Minnesotans more than anything on this planet. Uh, and Louis Varland is a kid uh, from North St. Paul. He went to college at a place called Concordia in St. Paul. That's a Division II program down here, not at the highest level of American collegiate ball. Mm. And he used to be throwing like 84, 85 in college. And now the dude throws like 97, 98. He's really up that velocity. His off-speed stuff is crisp. And he's really turned himself into something with this Twins development machine to the point where I think this stuff actually rates better than most of the other guys in this rotation. So they've really bolstered out this depth for a good starting rotation. Now, the bullpen hasn't really matched the rotation success. But because the rotation has been so good, which is something we've just really not seen in Minnesota, that's really made up for a lot of the deficits in the other areas of this team right now. So the one area, it's maybe not a deficit. This has been a league average offense, but the success has been mostly pitching fuel. Now, obviously, the big ticket item when it comes to the hitters on this team is Carlos Correa. And, and it was a rough start and it was starting to turn around, but he's now banged up with some plantar fasciitis. Uh, no announcement yet 
as to whether he's going to hit the IL, but I've had plantar fasciitis before and I am not a professional athlete. I don't, I don't know how you could con- like capably play the infield on, on that and hit and run. And on top of which the DH spot is spoken for most days by Byron Buxton as the twins try to, um, you know, keep him, keep his bat in the lineup every day. Uh, what is the trickle down from Carlos Correa? If he does have to hit the IL here for a little bit. Well, it's a bad, bad. I mean, there's no good time to lose Carlos Correa, possibly, but this would be a bad, bad time for it because the offense is just so banged up right now. You've got a bunch of stuff going on. Both Max Kepler and Jorge Polanco are down with hamstring issues. Joey Gallo is dealing with a back banged up hamstring, and we're not sure if he's going to be available for the first couple games of this series. They're really going to have to see about that, too. Trevor Larnick, one of their big young hitters, is down with pneumonia. Which is uh, not a baseball injury. You get all that often, but it was, uh, he was seriously sick during the last road trip in Anaheim. And it's just, uh, they, they just don't have many bodies to put in their lineup right now. And they're at a point where the offense has been stagnant for a couple of weeks. The injuries haven't helped. And they've remarked that they've just been kind of playing the same kind of game over and over again, where the rotation is good. So they're in every game. The offense is, doing just enough or barely short of enough a lot of the time. So they're playing a lot of these really, really tight games late in the game. And what happens with all these injuries is that, well, it decreases the margin for error for the bullpen. And so it puts a lot of stress on those guys. And then another thing that happens is this is a team built to match up, play platoon, pinch hit, pinch run in big situations and that sort of thing. And they're just not able to do that because so many of their big left-handed boppers are down. And then, of course, Correa being banged up as well just accentuates that issue. They're going to have to wait like a week and a half, two weeks to fully get healthy. Um, And uh, if they do lose Correa, that'd be really another big blow in that sense because they're really running out of depth at this point. I mean, Kyle Farmer can play shortstop, and they've got other guys like Willie Castro that can step around the diamond and everything like that. But uh, when you lose a guy like that, when you have Jose Miranda, the starting third baseman, who's already been demoted to AAA for underperformance, Add that to all the injuries, and they're not really in good shape as an offense, injury-wise or performance-wise, right now. Not uh, there. There are never silver linings to that kind of thing, but quickly before I let you go for us here in Toronto, one of the small silver linings is we've gotten to see a little bit of Edouard Julien. Uh, he, he obviously was a, a bit of a breakout star at the world baseball classic playing for Canada. Um, not the greatest of starts at the major league level for the Minnesota twins, but, but a guy who has monster walk rates throughout the minors. Um, do you have much expectation for, for Julien over the next couple of weeks while playing times available here? Oh, we have a ton of expectation for him, I think. One thing is that we're not sure about where the playing time is going to come from because, as you mentioned, Buxton is just kind of fixed there right now. And he's got an opening at second base while Polanco is down with a hamstring issue. But that's not going to be a long-term thing, and they're not really working out Julian at other defensive positions right now. They haven't closed the book on that. But I'm wondering if there's a certain point in which, with the way this offense has struggled, then Julian's bat. They've just got to find a way to keep his bat in the lineup. We haven't really seen the walks come into play in the big leagues yet. I think that's part of the natural transition and the nerves of a guy coming into his first uh, serious playing time at the big league level. But we've already seen the power that's been promised. I mean, two of his three big league homers have gone to the opposite field. That's really his power alley. One at Yankee Stadium down the left field line. And then one the other day here at Target Field, it went 404 feet to left center field on a slider in on his hand. And we all looked at that, and we're all just like, man, this kid is strong. I mean, Mm -hmm. that level of opposite field power on that pitch, 
uh, coming out of that frame with the walkability here. Really, we've really seen the glimpses of why they've been so high on this guy and why uh, everybody sees the potential, even though that hasn't necessarily translated to the performance yet. I can tell you, fans are hyped up hmm. to see him coming up to the big leagues. And I think uh, now that he's got a little bit of a runway, for at least the near future, he'll continue to get a chance to settle in and uh, really try to build on that. I think Toronto fans would be excited for it too if there wasn't the scenario where uh, he dooms the Jays to an even longer stretch of losing baseball here this weekend. So they're probably hoping he he rounds into form starting Monday. Uh, Doe, thanks so much for taking the time, oh man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you guys. Doe Young Park, Twins reporter at MLB.com. Two-time. Jeopardy contestant, uh, give him a follow on Twitter. He's great for all your all your twins insight. And yeah, some trivia stuff sprinkled in. Of course, Edward Julianne, by the way, um, if you're not familiar, 24-year-old, just turned 24, uh, called up because of all the twins injuries. He, he hasn't spent a ton of time in the minor leagues. He was a 2019 draft pick, but because of pandemic things, uh, didn't make his minor league debut until 2021. Uh, went quickly from A to high A. Spent last year at double A uh, just with a monster, monster stat line. Walked in almost 20% of his plate appearances, hit 17 home runs, stole 19 bases uh, in just 113 games. He starts this year a house of fire at AAA and is now up at the major league level. Has hit three home runs, uh, not walking quite as much. I think that's because, you know, major league pitchers aren't going to pitch around him all that carefully. Also, but it's only 45 plate appearances so far. He's, uh, he's slashing 205, 273, 436. So you do see some of the extra base potential there, but the walks haven't quite come around yet, despite that being an elite, elite, elite skill for him uh, at the minor league level. So we'll probably get a, a good look at him this weekend. We'll keep an eye out if there's a Carlos Correa update during the course of this show. I don't think there will be. So you're probably looking at a, you know, full lineup rundown and uh, injury fallout with Blair and Barker from five to seven, a little bit later. As a reminder, this is the the first week of the schedule shifting Jays top plus 10 to 12 every day on sports at five, nine, the fan and sports at 360 Blair and Barker in the five to seven slot. And of course have you for Jay's talk post game on weeknights. Uh, you can find that in the blue Jay's talk podcast feed as well. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to go to Minnesota again, but we're going to talk to the, the Toronto blue Jay side, the Toronto Raptors side, Matt Devlin filling in for Dan Schulman on the call all week. I uh, will talk to Maddie D about that experience uh, about where the Jays are at it and what the energy was like in the clubhouse following a players only meeting yesterday. Uh, Jays in a bad way. We'll see if Maddie D can uh, help us turn things around as Jays talk plus continues on sports at five the fan and sports at three sixty. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Not uh, not the smoothest of weeks for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, not the smoothest of weeks as Jays Talk Plus relaunches for 2023. Nine of 11, the Jays have lost. Two and 13 in the American League East over the last 15 against divisional opponents. It's six and 15 against the division overall. Uh, the record down to 26 and 25. They're 10 and a half back in the division, three back of a wild card spot and have four teams to jump as they fight their way back uh, from that wild card hole. And yeah, it's early by baseball terms. It's also a third of the way through the season, which means you got to win at an even higher pace the rest of the way to catch up on your Boston, New York, 
Baltimore, uh, probably not catching Tampa at this point. Uh, and then some AL West teams to catch up on as well. If you've been looking at how difficult the schedule is, Jay's in the midst of a stretch where 46 of 48 games are against winning teams. Uh, the Minnesota Twins still qualify as a winning team, but we're going to find out this weekend if that is real or if that is AL Central inflated. They sit atop the worst division uh, in baseball. Let's go down to Minnesota. Let's talk to the man on the call all week for Blue Jays games on Sportsnet TV. You know him as the voice of the Raptors, Matt Devlin. Matty D, how's it going? I'm doing well. Good to be in the Twin Cities and looking forward to this weekend's game at an outdoor facility. Should be a lot of fun. Are you looking forward to it, though? Because things aren't going that well. The The energy is, is not great right now, Matt. Well, I will say this, that in years past when I have filled in, I think I had a winning record. And right now, you, everybody could just blame me. I think <laughs> I think that would be the way to go, you know? You look at game one, obviously, in Tampa, things didn't go well. You end up losing 6-4. You come back, you win 20-1, to and then Shane McClanahan, and then yesterday, Zach Eflin. It's, uh, you know, uh, Blake, you know this. I mean, you know, sometimes you you get out there, and, you know, I, I can take it. I can take it. Just blame me. It'll be all right. I don't think we can blame you because I, I just laid out some of the numbers. You, yeah, you've been on four of these calls. They went one and three in those games. But this is uh, these are issues that existed before you got on, before you, you hopped onto the beat, Matt. So I, I'm not going to blame you. I am curious, though, how – I know you do this a couple times each uh, yeah. each season during your Raptors offseason. What what is that experience like for you jumping in and doing a handful of Jays games uh, during the Raptors offseason? Ooh, I, I absolutely love doing it. I started in minor league baseball since seven years calling games, but that was you know years and years, decades ago. But it's always fun to come back and call games and baseball of all the sports. Jumping in in the middle of a season or you know, quarter of the way through the season is not the easiest, right? Because there's so many different storylines that you have to catch up on. Uh, but it is always fun to work with Buck and tonight uh, with Joe Siddle and in years past with Pat Tabler. Uh, always appreciate my time in that broadcast booth because I go back to when I was a minor leaguer in, in 1993 calling games for the Palm Springs Angels. And on an off day, I drove to uh, Anaheim, and it was the Angels and the Blue Jays playing. And I introduced myself to Tom and Jerry, hmm. and I asked them, would you mind if I could sit in the back of the broadcast booth and listen to them? And uh, they were both very uh, gracious and agreeable. And I sat there, listened to them, and midway through the game, got in a conversation with Tom and as well as Jerry. And Tom, at that time, you have to remember this is before any all the different computer stuff but he was showing me how he on a daily basis kept track of hitting streaks and box scores and all that and i adopted actually that from tom cheek and he also gave me his scorebook hmm. uh, you know like a page from it that i took and obviously copied and then started using that and years later i still have the letter um i said an audio cassette to jerry um, and he critiqued it for me um, and sent it back to me. Um, and so those, you know, it's it's special uh, when you walk inside that broadcast booth because of that moment as a young kid trying to find my way in the industry. 
That's awesome. I, I had never heard you tell that story before, Matt. That's that's very cool. And you you popped your head in the booth when I was doing one of my first games on the Wii. I, I'm going to send you a tape now, and uh, you're you're going to have to <laughs> critique me. Hey, you're like the guru. You know, I you know during I have to let everybody know during the basketball season, uh, there are often times we head over to talk to Blake about some of the different numbers that he has. You're like the wizard. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about all that, but we'll, we're, we're trying, trying our best to, to bring it over to baseball like, like you have been. Um, the Jays also, they did you a little bit of a, a favor in two of these games with Matt. I, I, don't, I, I know you're on Twitter. I don't know how much you, you see me tweet about the Raptors' fake comebacks when, you know, I, I know you've got to sell it and a 19-point lead becomes a 12-point lead with a couple minutes left. Yeah. Uh, the, Ray, the, the Jays gave you a couple of those against the Rays. Did that make you feel at home or what? Yeah, it did. It did. But, you know, I mean, here's a couple of things. And, you know, this at the beginning of the week, you start the week actually tied with Minnesota with the seventh best record in baseball. And obviously you've fallen now into the middle of the pack after the week in Tampa. Tampa's only lost five times. That other team is really good. And when you go back to Monday night, they had opportunities late. Uh, They had an opportunity yesterday late as well. And so there's been a lack of timely hitting. There's been giving, at least through these last four games, a team like the Rays extra outs, which you can't do, as you well know. They've grounded into six double plays over the course of the week. You go back to last night, tying run at the plate, first pitch and a ground ball out. So you're not getting timely hitting. I know the Manoa story is separate, but prior to that, when you're – you know, looking at the, the starting pitching, you know, Barrios worked his way through some things in that first inning. I mean, it's actually, you know, Chris Bassett had pitched well. So there were some things. Kikuchi even made his way through, you know, some difficulty against a very tough lineup. Uh, so there were opportunities there. Unfortunately, they just didn't seize them. And you go back to the first game. And I know I'm kind of throwing a lot of different things out here, but go back to the first game and, and Vladdy his first two errors, right? Those are those mm-hmm. extra outs that you just can't, but those are the things in baseball over the course of 162 happen. And it'll happen at some point for Tampa Bay. It hasn't happened yet. And they've been incredible managing their arms based upon who they don't have right now. But when you look at Shane McClanahan backed up by Zach Eflin, who they brought in uh, as their highest paid ever free agent, you know, those two on back-to-back days, really tough. They have bullpen issues. Again, Jays were able to get into that a little bit and kind of mount their way and, and possibly get, you know, back into a game. But unfortunately, you need timely hitting. And I think lost in all of this has been the approach of Bo Bichette and how great he's been because he's been outstanding. Yeah, he see, at, at times seems like a man alone at, at the top of this lineup. And I know George Springer has started to turn things around. The the balls are finding holes a little bit more for him. Um, Vlad had the, the grand slam and a couple of, of big RBI over the yeah. course of the weekend. But it really does feel like uh, it's Bo and everyone else right now, especially as Matt Chapman has come back to earth a little bit. Um, speaking of Matt Chapman, Matt, he he calls. Well, I don't. I'm not sure if he called it, but he was kind yeah. of the 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 person speaking on behalf of the players only meeting last night. Um, you've 
been around a long time with basketball, with baseball. These things happen. They happen over 162. They happen over 82. I'm sure they happen over 17 in football too. Uh, but the the fact that a player's only meeting behind closed doors has happened this early, um, what, what does that tell you right now about where this Blue Jays team is at? I think it's a good thing. I mean, I, why let things linger? I think that they realize that they're good enough. They want to win, and, and it's something that Buck and I talked about early in this series against the Rays. You know, it's not for lack of effort, right? It's it's not like, hey, we got to try harder. You know, sometimes you have to let things come to you. But the wonderful thing about baseball is that it is every day, and they are in a stretch of literally where it is every single day. And today does provide you a new opportunity. I, I I actually think it's a positive that that happened yesterday, that the manager, you know, John Schneider, who, you know, did comment about it, you know, he wasn't the one that had to do it, that the players felt themselves like, hey, look at, you know, there's enough in this room. Because the reality of it is, is that despite what Zach Eflin did through the first seven innings of that game, and despite how it started for Alec Manoa, and being lifted after 87 pitches, and he really struggled through those first innings, they had the time run at the plate, right? And they just weren't able to execute. And it's so much about, doesn't matter the sport, it's so much about timely execution, you know, whether that's a three-point shot, whether that's in the red zone, or whether that's you're up to bat and you have an opportunity to do some damage. And they had that opportunity throughout the course of this week. And the numbers, as you know, get skewed because of what happened Tuesday um, with that 20 to one game. Yeah, they cer- they certainly do. And some of the season long numbers look a little better because of that. And certainly the numbers over the last couple of weeks, um, let's turn the page to the series with the twins. And, you know, maybe there's a little bit of room for optimism. If there is, it's probably because Kevin Gosman is on the Hill. Um, Matt, how how important is it for, you know, in a situation like this, coming off a players-only meeting to have, I know Manoa got the opening day start and the home opener start, but on performance, Kevin Gosman is your ace. To, to have that guy in this spot, how key is that for you? Oh, I think it's huge. I really do. Because as we know, you know, he's somebody that has delivered and he's dialed in. And I think that that is something that certainly after that series of veteran, you're on the mound, you've been there, you've lived through all of the roller coaster rides of seasons before. I think it's extremely important. And you look at the last time, uh, you know, he went out there, you know, he performed well, right? I mean, he was outstanding. And so when you think about, you know, that with, where they are right now, it's important. I think the other thing that's extremely important, by the way, is, you know, George Springer at the top of the order. And he was outside of the game on Wednesday. I mean, those first two games, he was really, he really set the tone. And so in the top of the first inning, can they get something going, right? And if they can do that, you give Gosman a lead. You talked earlier, I know, about the run support, the lack thereof of it. I think that the combination of all that is just extremely important because you start to feel good. And I think yesterday, you know, unfortunately with Manoa, one of the things like he's out there, you could just tell there was doubt, right? And and that's just not something that anybody's used to seeing with him. And so you don't want that to kind of creep in. It's a team that's good enough. You come out today, you have Gosman, 
and then you have, you know, the, the ability of this offense to produce. And if they can get something again in that top of the first or early in the game, grab the lead, uh, you know, that's a really good sign instead of trying to play from behind. So as we, you know, set up the, this twin series, I, I know you put a ton of prep work in uh, to these series, Matt. What, what stands out to you about the twins? What are you most curious or excited about to, to see from this group? Well, I think, you know, to me, when you take a look at um, this team, <laughs> they lead the AL Central. And I'm just curious because you're stepping outside of the AL East. And how good is this team? So it's a collective thing, but you also look at, okay, they may not have their full roster. We already know about the injuries that they do have and the players that have missed, you know, their most recent games. But still, I'm just curious. Okay, they're atop the AL Central. You have Detroit right behind them. You know, let's see. And this is a Blue Jays team that is 20 and 10, I believe, right, outside of the AL East. AL East is a little bit like the Atlantic division hmm. in basketball, right? Where and you're beating up on each other just all the time. And every single team in it is, is good. And, and so the Yankees are going to have their moment. You know, the Red Sox quite possibly are having some of their moments over the course of the last week. The Rays will eventually. And it's interesting to see if Baltimore can sustain this. Right. But for me, it's, all right, let's see the Jays against the AL Central. Let's see them. They're 20 and 10. This is a good time to kind of flip the script. They're going to not see the Rays, as you well know, until the very end of the season. I believe, what, six of the last 10 games? Yeah. And, and so, to me, there's a lot of time between now and then. There is, and it's one of those things where the the more balanced schedule is, is certainly a gift in terms of who you get to play against, how often. But uh, when you dig yourself a ten and a half game hole early, yes. it's a bit of a curse because you don't have the the games up against them uh, to make up for it. Um, another one on, on Minnesota for you, Matt. I, I haven't gotten to go to Target Field before. I, I have been to Minnesota for a baseball game, but it was back when it was the old Metrodome. Uh, you're you're a fan of that park. What what do you what do you like about the new setup? Well, new ish at this point setup in Minnesota. I have not been inside of it. Oh, okay. However, I'm at a hotel that's looking out over it right now, and I will tell you, it is outstanding. I have seen it over the last couple of years when the Raptors come to town, but typically there's just snow caked everywhere when we're here. But I really look forward to uh, seeing uh, the field. It, the way it's situated, it's right next to the Target Center target field is and they're really doing a great job of revitalizing that whole area right there uh so it, it's a lot of fun my favorite ballpark uh that i've called the game in um on the road outside of toronto it, it has to be in in pittsburgh i i just think it's so majestic uh with the bridge and the city in the background it's it's truly a special place it's incredible there. And my mom and stepdad actually went down when the Jays were just there a couple weekends ago. And, you know, they're not the hugest baseball fans, but they loved it as well. I was actually, there was a, I was looking at some Instagram post recently. It was like all the, the coolest baseball parks around North America. And it's mostly like cool college ones or, or a couple interesting ones uh, in city. And then PNC's in there too. Like there weren't a lot of major league parks. It's like, here are all these cool, funky ones. And then by the way, there's one major league park. That's also uh, that awesome. 
awesome. Matt, you mentioned uh, traveling with the Raptors there. While we have you on, I got I got to ask you a Raptors question. Um, when when are we getting a head coach for this Toronto Raptors team? And and I guess you you can't answer that. But what are you looking for? Or what do you hope the Raptors are looking for in their next head coach? Well, I, you know, I think it's it, it's an interesting time because I think at the end of the day when you look at it, what what sort of team is going to be there? And I think what sort of team Masai wants for next year will determine what coach he ends up bringing in. And so I think it's a wide-ranging search, which is what they want. Uh, you know, Steve Nash recently, right, it's Kenny Atkinson in the mix, uh, Jordy Fernandez, all names, by the way, outside of Steve Nash that you've heard, you know, out there right? Um, Becky Hammond's name. Uh, they've met with a lot of different people. And I think that, you know, JJ Reddick, for instance, I mean, I'm not telling you anything that you don't know, but I think a lot of it's going to be based upon what sort of team that they envision for next season. And I don't have any insight as to what that would be, right? I don't know that they know yet what it could be. I think that maybe you'll find out draft night. I mean, that could be one of the indications of what ultimately transpires. Yeah, a lot of big questions to, to be answered there for sure. And, and real quick, in the Monty Williams, it's my understanding, he's owed three years. 21 mil. Things, yeah, so in, in the way things work, Doc is owed two years, Bud's owed two years, Nick is owed one year. If you get another job, there's what they call an offset, right, mm-hmm. with the team that you're currently employed with and then the team that fired you. And I'm not sure, you know, Monty Williams, he may look around and by all reports, he's turned down Detroit. You're owed $21 million. He, he may decide to take a year off. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, or maybe two years off. And so, you know, he may decide, okay, I'm going to pull back. I'm going to wait for, you know, a specific situation. So that'll be interesting to see. It will be. And, you know, that's obviously the biggest basketball story here in Toronto right now, other than, well, yeah, Jamal Murray could potentially bring the Larry O'Brien back to Kitchener for the first time since 2019 when assistant coach John Bennett brought it back uh, to Kitchener, but also got to make sure the Celtics don't complete this comeback. I think, I think that's probably what uh, Raptors fans are most invested in. Uh, Matt Devlin, thanks so much for taking the time out this morning, man. Have a great call this weekend. I really appreciate it, Blake. Matt Devlin, uh, voice of the Toronto Raptors, and for this week, voice of the Toronto Blue Jays, Dan Schulman off this week. Matt Devlin on the call with Joe Siddle tonight as the Jays start a three-game set at Minnesota, uh, 8 o'clock tonight, 2 o'clock Saturday and Sunday, if for whatever reason you'd like to hear more of me. I'm on the call with Ben Wagner all weekend uh, on the radio side as well. We're going to have Kevin Gosman against Louis Varlin tonight, Chris Bassett against Pablo Lopez on Saturday, and Jose Barrios against Bailey Ober on Sunday. Those are your probable pitchers. Uh, the Minnesota Twins dealing with a whole bunch of injuries right now, uh, certainly in the rotation where you know they've they've lost guys for the season. They've had guys underperforming slash Maybe it's a it's a phantom IL kind of situation on the position player side. They're 
injured list is almost an entire starting lineup long. Uh, Joey Gallo is not on that injured list, but he's banged up right now. Carlos Correa has missed the last two games dealing with plantar fasciitis. We're expecting uh, an update on him at some point today and potentially a corresponding roster move if he needs to hit the IL. And then there's the Byron Buxton of it all. And if you haven't been watching a lot of Minnesota Twins baseball, Byron Buxton, who's one of the best and most dynamic center fielders in all of baseball, has not been playing center field. He's actually yet to play uh, the outfield yet this season. The reason being in large part that if you look at Byron Buxton's career, he has played more than 92 games only once he's been in the major since 2015 and he's only cracked the, he's only topped 92 games one time that was back in 2017. And even that was 140 games. The Minnesota twins have basically decided, well, it's worth losing his defense to have him DH and keep him in the lineup every single day. Uh, so far, so good. He's appeared in 45 of their 50 games. He's hitting like you'd expect Byron Buxton to hit. Maybe, maybe a little low on the batting average side. This is a guy who has a, a 300 hitting partial season under his belt. Uh, he's coming in at 238 right now, but the power is there. He's got 10 home runs. He's stolen six bases, uh, scored 31 runs at the top of that lineup. So um, you won't see him in the outfield by all accounts, but you'll see him at the plate. And he is uh, maybe not quite as dangerous as he was in 2021, that, that kind of career partial year with a, a bunch of injuries sprinkled in but he is uh he's every bit as dangerous as you remember byron buxton being uh the question will be you know is he hitting fourth is he hitting second are joey gallo and carlos correa hitting ahead of him in the lineup are they out um do you believe in alex kirilov and his hot hot start to this season do you believe in edward julien the canadian who has uh, a pretty terrific minor league track record since entering the twin system in 2021 uh, but who hasn't had a, a ton of major league success in a, a smallish sample here. Lots of questions to answer for the twins on the position player side, less so on the pitcher side where as Doe helped us break down a little earlier, uh, even through injuries, they've been able to just keep calling guys up, keep calling guys up. We won't see him this weekend. Um, Joe Ryan is behind or sorry. He's the only person ahead of Kevin Gosman when it comes to generating swing and miss as a, as a starting pitcher this year. So he's, he's been incredible on um, Pablo Lopez, you know, Bailey Ober started the season in the minor leagues, despite having a pretty good major league track record because they had that kind of depth. And then Louis Varland, who has completely retooled his delivery. He's got this kind of explosive delivery. Now that's added a, a bunch of velocity to his profile. Uh, he's stepped in and given them five starts of pretty quality pitching. So we'll see him tonight. We'll see what happens on, on the position player side. Uh, we did have one question in the text line uh, related to an earlier conversation about Alec Manoa and what do you do with him? And this question, uh, the person didn't sign it, uh, but they asked, what about Nate Pearson as a starter in place of Manoa? So Jonah Bierenbaum and I were going through some of the, the possibilities there. And Mitch White's been moved to 60-day IL and, and had his rehab time restarted because of a setback. Hyunjin Ryu is at least a month and a half, probably two months away still. Um, and then there aren't guys performing at, at AAA. Zach Thompson has struggled. Casey Lawrence has struggled. Yosef Zulueta has been bouncing between the rotation and the bullpen. Uh, Drew Hutchison, who's not on the 40-man, has really struggled. Uh, so this person asks about Nate Pearson as a starter a couple years ago. I, I think you would have been excited about that possibility, especially given how good he's looked in the bullpen, including in multi-inning stints. He has not gone more than two innings in an outing since June 16th, 2021. 
I think if you were to look at Nate Pearson as anything other than an opener style starter, uh, you probably need to send him back down and stretch him out a little bit right now. That bullpen can't really afford that. He's pitched his way into more leverage situations and, and a little bit more trust. He looks pretty comfortable with his three pitch mix coming out of the pen for an inning or two at a time. Um, maybe you toy with it with him as the, as an opener or the, you know, first guy on a bullpen day at some point, if you try to get the starters an extra day of rest, because there is an off day coming Monday, but then it's right back to another condensed schedule. Uh, the Jays in the middle of 30 games in 31 days. Uh, so if you do look at things like Kevin Gosman pitching a little better with an extra day of rest, Alec Manoa, his, that the small handful of quality starts he's had this year, um, have been with, with an extra day of rest. And I don't mean quality starts the stat, I, Quality is a qualitative factor there. Um, maybe you could use Pearson in a situation like that. You, of course, have Trevor Richards, who who gave you three clean innings yesterday on only 32 pitches. You have some options there, but none of these are options that could potentially replace Alec Manoa on a every fifth day basis right now. Um, so that leaves you in a place where you have to figure out what's up with Manoa and, and how to get a better major league version of him because there aren't succession plans in place right now. We're going to talk to Ricky Romero after the break about what that might look like and his own experience going through some of those same struggles, having to go back down to AAA at one point. Uh, before we do that, though, it's a nice day out there. It's a nice week for Budweiser Stage to have opened. And Beck and Phoenix are co-headlining Budweiser Stage on September 3rd as part of their summer Odyssey tour. We've been giving away tickets all week long. Today's the last day we're giving them away. To enter for a chance to win, text in today's code word to 59590. That code word is winter solstice. I know it's a bit of an odd one as we're a couple weeks out here from summer solstice, but bear with us for the, the Beck and Phoenix tie-in here. So text winter solstice to 59590. Today's the last day we're giving away tickets for this event, but... If you don't win with us, you can go to ticketmaster.ca to secure your tickets to Beck and Phoenix at Bud Stage on September 3rd. Let's take a little break. When we come back, we'll talk to Ricky Romero of MLB Network Radio, former Toronto Blue Jay, someone who's gone through something a little similar to what Alec Manoa is going through uh, here. He also has some uh, some chirps from Travis Snyder yesterday to answer for as well. Ricky Romero joins us next as Jays Talk Plus continues on Sports at 590 The Fan and Sports at 360. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Alec Manoa with another tough one last night. Only gets three innings, 87 pitches, 44 strikes to 43 balls. Uh, That is a level of ball throwing that only a handful of pitchers uh, have reached this season. There are 72 qualified starters in Major League Baseball right now. Alec Manoa's 553 ERA is fifth worst among them. His whip is the worst. His walks per nine are the worst. How many pitches it takes him to get through through an inning is the worst. Uh, it's probably not fair to say Alec Manoa has been the worst pitcher in baseball because pitchers who are that bad get optioned down or DFA'd as Madison Baumgartner did uh, or, you know, put on fandom IL as uh, Keller did. It's been a tough go, though. Um, and every time it seems like he's taking a bit of a step forward, there's a step back. Let's try to figure out what's going on there and how Alec Manoa may be able to bring himself out of it. Uh, we're joined now by Ricky Romero of MLB network radio, former Toronto blue Jay. Ricky, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. How are you, Blake? 
I'm all right. I'd be better if things were going a little better with the Toronto baseball club, but uh, we can't, we can't all be coaching team good stuff in the playoffs, you know, right. We, not everyone has it, uh, has it as good as you right now. How, how has the experience been coaching your kids for the first time been? Oh man, it's been an awesome experience. We actually we're in the playoffs right now. We won our game one. And then yesterday we played one of the best teams, if not the best team in the, in the division and they beat us uh 12, eight. So I'm, ah. I'm getting over that. I'm getting over that loss, but not overall, Honestly, Blake, it's been a, it's been one of the coolest experiences of my life, and and I've got I've had the you know I've been blessed to be able to, um, to do a lot of things in the game of baseball, but doing this is like awesome, and you know um, sometimes I I feel like this is this is where I belong. Uh, I had a, a few coaching opportunities and came close to uh, considering them and taking them, and then uh, right at the end I kind of backed out because I had made a commitment to 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 both my boys' teams, and I remember asking them and saying, hey, do you want Daddy to coach the big boys or do you guys want Daddy to coach you guys? And they're like, Daddy, we want you here and, and we need you here. And um, So that, that's that been pretty cool, man. I mean, I think it's just the more um, – the T-ball age where my four-year-old is at is, it, you know, that's just more like just they, they can't wait for, for the game to end and, <laughs> and they're running bases the wrong way, whereas my oldest one, Sebastian, the seven-year-old, it's, it's more competitive, it's out, it's learning how to make plays and – Teaching them the game of baseball has been really, really cool and seeing the strides that our team has made because I did not know any of them when I drafted them. So uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm super attached to them right now, and it's it's, it's been an awesome experience, honestly. I, I coached uh, I coached um, the, the machine pitch and the coach pitch ages a couple years back, and it's fun to go up each successive level with them and see that growth. So I'm, I'm looking forward to you getting to do that. I was talking to Travis Snyder yesterday, and he's doing the same thing. You, do you imagine you're, you're a better coach at this stage than Travis Snyder is? <laughs> probably <laughs> he's still he, he's still in that stage like i said i don't think anybody can prepare you for uh for the like the competitive juices get flowing man i mean even though i'm coaching like i don't think that ever goes away and and i feel like i'm in it with my kids like i'm just like so into the game and like my stomach is turning i have butterflies and just because i know how hard they've worked and i know how bad they want it that I want them to win so bad. And I know sometimes it's not about winning and losing. And I always tell them that like, Hey, like you guys already have surpassed all the expectations I ever had. So whatever happens here in the playoffs, um, is, is cool with me. Like I, like I said, it, it's not about winning or losing. It's not about a seven year old championship banner or whatever they give out. It's, it's more about learning the game and learning the fundamentals of the game and learning how to apply that to the next, you know, to the kids who are going to be moving on to the next level, to to the higher division and stuff like that, and the, and the kids that are coming back to that division, it's like they have a they have the first step of hey, I know how to field the ground ball, I know how to throw the first base, I know how to swing the bat and stuff like that. So that's kind of the main focus of everything I try and do. I don't I don't try and get too cute with stuff. I see some coaches sometimes at the age of seven where they're like <laughs> shooting high pop ups to like to these kids and like big league pop ups, and I'm like, what are you doing? Like that that does nothing. That does nothing. Nobody hits it that high at this level so yeah it's more just focusing on the fundamentals of the game and and, and stuff like that that's been that's been the coolest part so yeah i'm, I'm definitely more advanced than travis snyder for sure <laughs> that sounds like uh <laughs> sounds like a lot of fun so far man i gotta take it to a less fun direction uh alec manoa continues to struggle for the blue jays uh, only makes it three innings yesterday uh, another time through with, with uh issues with the walks issues with pitch efficiency uh issues with everything being either way off the plate or you know right down the heart of the plate not being able to locate those edges um you you've gone through ups and downs as well in, in your own professional career uh with this toronto blue jays team 
when you look, and, and I know it's from afar, but when you look at what Alec Manoa might be going through right now, um, how much of that is, you know, there's obviously a big mental component, um, but when you first have those struggles after you had established such a high bar for yourself and established yourself as the ace of the staff, um, how much of that is, you know, the pressure that you're putting on yourself to perform maybe building up at this point? Oh, I mean, it, it starts building up more and more for sure. And, and I feel for Alec. And trust me, I hear a lot about it still in my mentions to this day on Twitter, people comparing me to him and saying all this, this dumb stuff. But it, it's one of those things where, you know what, at the end of the day, um, Alec, Alec has to know who he is. And, and I, I, I've texted with him, and, and I've, I've continued to, like, show my support for him and tell him that, that it's okay. You know, like it's okay. Don't don't try and 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 make it a bigger deal than what it is. Because when we start doing that, and that was my problem, I I like made it such a big deal, and I felt like I was letting so many people down. I felt like I was letting my team down, my family down, the fans down. That you kind of start thinking like that, and 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 all the negative thoughts start coming, and then you start just digging yourself in a bigger hole. And I was like, just go out there, see what it is that you want to fix. Uh, pick one thing. And then and then execute it and I and, and, and you know and, and sometimes you just have to wonder I mean I hope I hope there's nothing wrong with him uh, health wise where he's trying to push through it um, because you know when you try to do that I mean and I did it it's it's like you just like I said you want to get out of that hole so fast that you kind of forget about yourself and and looking at yourself in the mirror and say okay what is it that I that I that I want to do what is it that I want to accomplish like you know I'm not saying screw everyone else but it's like kind of take everyone else out of the picture you know i'm not trying to uh at this point i'm not trying to uh go out there and, and, and stink it up I, I just i just i just need to pick one thing and, and and like i said our conversations have always been very positive he's a very positive guy and you know the, the, the if there's nothing wrong with him health wise it's just one of those things where you just got to keep punching and 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 i feel like the, the game of baseball can be cruel sometimes you know that blake i mean mm-hmm. just watching sports as a as a fan you know any sport it, it can be cruel like you just some stuff happens and you're just like man like you you feel for that for that person because at the end of the day alec manoa is not it's not uh it's not just a uh a blue jay baseball player or a major league baseball player he's a person and i'm sure he's going through all the feelings of waking up in the morning and saying man like what what, what is it that i gotta fix what is it that i gotta get better at what you know, I'm doing everything because I guarantee you he's in that video room. He's in there trying to fix it, trying to do stuff, trying to make sure like he can he can uh, he can he can be better in this next start. But I think sometimes um, and it was a huge, a big problem of mine. I, I overloaded myself with a lot of stuff and, and I wanted to fix everything in one start. And I think sometimes that's that's the biggest downfall for us because we, we're perfectionists. We're we're at that level for a reason. And and for Alec, I think sometimes it's just like, hey man, like let me take a step back. Let me let, let me just pick one thing and let, let me go out there and execute that one thing because sometimes the problem isn't as big as we make it out to be as as players. I think it's it's just one little thing. And 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 for right now, I mean, obviously, you know, the sometimes the the we know he can do it. The velocity sometimes is still there, but it, it, there's definitely some mental stuff I'm sure creeping in on him and wondering like what the heck is going on. But you know. I, I hope he comes out of it, man. And, and sometimes maybe a, a mental break, you know. I mean, um, a phantom IL. I, again, I, I don't know. I mean, who, who knows? I mean, I don't. I don't. I haven't really listened to his interviews post game and, and what he's saying and stuff like that. Uh, but I mean, I hope he stays positive because he's still pretty talented and he's still a big part of this team. So, um, I mean, 
we're seeing it, right? I mean, when the starting pitching is in there, this team struggles bad. And when the when starters when the starters have been money, I mean, it's like they're 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 clicking all cylinders. Even if the offense, um, you know, isn't providing a lot of offense, they can still go out there and win ball games because they have quality arms. So. Um, Alec Manoa is definitely a guy that, that this team needs, and I, and I hope he turns it around. You mentioned the the ability to maybe take a break or, or take a breather, whether it's Phantom IL or something like that. I, I know in um, 2013, you know, that was kind of the, the height of your stroke. You did go down to AAA, and you spent a bunch of time there. Um, what was – and at that point, you know, you, you had four years of major league time under your belt. You, you were a little further along than Alec, but what was that – and the, to be clear, the Jays don't really have that option right now. There's no one ready to go at AAA, uh, I don't think. But if they were to do that, what was that experience like for you? And what do you think that could do for Alec Manoa? If, you know, even if it's a, hey, Phantom IL plus a rehab start or something like that, that is it just about that ability to mentally reset and be like, okay, who is Alec Manoa? What do I pitch like instinctively? Is that kind of what you'd be hoping for from Manoa there? Yeah, I mean, that's what you're hoping for. And again, um, I, I think it's like you, you – when you're at that level and you've reached the amount of success that he's had, it, it's tough. I mean, it, it's not an easy pill to swallow. That's for sure. You're kind of, I mean, your ego's a little hurt and, and you're just like, man, like, holy smokes, not, not long ago I was on top of the world and how, how did I end up here? But I, I think the experience of going down there and just for me personally was like, man, like, okay, I got to fun. I got to find fun in this game again. You know, at the end of the day, um, I, I always say, like, man, coaching my kids now, like, I always wish that when I was struggling at that level, I wish I would have gone to a, a Sandlot baseball game and just sat there and watched these kids play and, and see how much they love the game and how and how much they, they, they love just going out there. And I think sometimes that gets lost in this where, you know, we become, we're, we're professionals, we're perfectionists, we, we want to do so much and, 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 and be the best, at our position that, that we kind of forget and take the fun out of it. And, and, and for me, I think when I was down in AAA, it was like, you know what, I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to come in with the right attitude. It took me a, 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 a good week or two to, to adjust. I mean, everything's different, right? I mean, you're not getting big league meals. You're not staying at big league hotels. All that stuff kind of <laughs> messes with you a bit mentally. Um, so, um, but it's one of those things where I think you got to find the fun in it. And, again, I mean, who knows if that's the route that the – the Jays take and you mentioned the, the depth isn't there and that's kind of a problem too like I mean when, when, when you kind of look at it you're like man where this, this team needs depth I mean at the end of the day when you look at the good teams and you know, you're looking at the Baltimore Orioles where like if one guy goes down if one guy goes out like they got somebody to replace them with quick you know and and, and they're the way they're developing prospects and stuff like that I mean that that's huge so hopefully the the, the Jays um can develop guys and, and, and have guys ready for, for situations like this. And it's hard to say, like, hey, yeah, we have five good starters and we're going to rely on those guys. When was the last time you saw five starters make it from the start to the beginning, from the beginning of the season to the end of the season? It just doesn't always happen. So depth is definitely always key. I always talk about that and say the depth. I mean, the, the teams that have the best depth are the, are the ones that you see at the end playing in October or deep into October. So um, for, for Alec, like I said, I mean, I, I hope, I don't know what, what the organization's thinking, but, man, like, you just hope it doesn't get worse for him and, and he continues to doubt himself or um, and, and just go out there and, and, and fall flat on his face. You just don't want to see that out of a guy like him. Like I said, it's one of those things where um, where I know I know 
you know, personally and talking to him, he's 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 positive, man. But you know, there comes a time where this this game does beat you up, and I'm sure he's hearing boos and stuff like that. You you start hearing it all, man, when <laughs> when it doesn't go your way, and it's not it's definitely not a fun spot to be in, but. Uh, again, I mean, sometimes maybe a mental break is is needed, and just like a breather, like, hey, man, like, just we're we're okay, you know. It's not the end of the world. It's not life or death. It's, it's at the end of the day, it's still it's still a game, and and you still got to find uh, the fun in it. And as as much as it's hard to do that when you're struggling, I, I just hope he he does. And and um and and yeah, man, I mean, he's he's got some work to do, and. Uh, hopefully the organization does something or does what's best for him and, and for the organization. Ricky, I, I don't I don't like to bring you on just to talk about when a pitcher's struggling. Of course, you had some very, very good years where you were <laughs> extremely locked in as well. I saw you tweet out the other day when Chris Bassett passed your kind of what you were on the shutout streak leaderboard in franchise history and, and Bassett was going up there. You, you tweeted out about remembering the good times. Um, when you think back to strong streaks like that, like the role Bassett was on. I mean, Gosman's on like a three-year role of it right now. How much does that free you up on the mental side when, you know, obviously you're going to put a lot of work in, you're going to put your prep work in, your scouting work and stuff, but in terms of that overthinking or, or that, you know, being in your own head a little bit, just putting together even two, three good games in a row, how much can that free you up? Oh, big time, man. I mean, you're just like, when that happened, it was I was, it was I believe it was in 2009. I was a rookie, so I was like on cloud nine. I was like, man, I I have this shutout streak in the big leagues. Like last year, and I was in double A, not knowing if I was going to be able to get out of double A, and then reached got to triple A towards the end of the season. And now here I'm in the big leagues with the with the with the streak like that. And you know, it gives you all the confidence in the world, and and you just feel like you go out there and you just let your stuff work. And and that's kind of what I did. You know, it wasn't like it wasn't like I like you know I hope the streak I mean I did hope that streak la- you know lasted 50 plus innings that would have been sweet <laughs> you know but you you kind of feel like every time you get the ball you're like hey I got this you know I, I can go out there seven innings and then hand the ball over to the bullpen that's kind of what it felt like I mean 2011 too but like honestly I, even though I didn't have a streak like that I knew that every time I had the ball I was going to go eight nine innings I, I just knew it I was like man like this I just feel great and you're just in that mode and then you know, I, I know you mentioned that you don't want to talk about a pitcher struggling, but I, honestly, that's part of who's what's made me who I am today. And mm-hmm. without those struggles, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. I mean, it's it's cool when when you're uh, when everyone's patting you on the butt and saying, "Oh, great job, good this, good." This. But it's it, you kind of start seeing the, the truth about your surroundings when when you start struggling and stuff like that. And it's taught me a lot. The the, the bottom of my career taught me more than probably the top of my career, just because I know how to deal with failure. I know what it's like to be in that situation. I can relate to players who are in that situation. I can relate to Alec Manoa. When I talk to my kids, you know, my kid uh, last night in, the, in our playoff game, he struck out three times and he, that's never happened, man. That's never happened with him. And, and I talked to him and I said, Hey, like it happens. It happens to the best of them. And he, he loves Vladdy. And I said, Vladdy has struck out three times in a game. You know, it just, it happens to all of us, man. And, you know, and, and, and it just, I have that tool to be able to teach him and say, hey, you know what, like the struggles, it's, it's part of the game. It happens to the best players in the world. It happens to the best athletes in the world. We all have off days and, and it's okay. Like as much as we want to we wanna be successful and have the, you know, hit a home run or whatever in a big situation, it just doesn't always happen like that. So. You know, and I think that's why it's important. Again, I think I feel like as much as Manoa is probably hating 
going through this, it's one of those things where one day he's going to look back and say, man, that, that, that season taught me a lot. And it is a, you know, Manoa has been the highlight item, but it has been a, a bit of a team-wide thing. We heard yesterday after the game, they, they've lost 9 of 11, and the players called a, a closed-door players-only meeting uh, last night. H- have you ever been a part of any of those? And what is the, you know, what is the team trying to accomplish by, by shutting the doors and talking it out players-only? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I, I have been part of a few of those uh, back in my time, and it's just one of those things where you're just trying to clean something up, right? I mean, I think there's just <laughs> this team is far too talented to be struggling like this, and I think they know it. Uh, if you talk to any of those guys, they're like, "This is not where we belong. Like, we're too good, at, too good at this." And I think it's more just airing out your grievances, right? I mean, I think guys probably had some stuff to say, get off their chest, and I hope the team leaders. I don't know who they are. Uh, but I hope the team leaders spoke up and said what, what they felt. And, and, and sometimes that can be the difference, and, or other times it cannot. You know, I mean, it just, it just all depends on how they decide to, uh, to kind of take whatever was said in that meeting and, and apply it to, to going out there and, and winning ball games. And um, a lot of people think sometimes, like, oh, yeah, they had a meeting, and look, it carried them to the World Series. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't always happen like that. <laughs> you know, you just hear about those good stories when it does happen. And, um, again, I think, uh, like I said, like I mentioned earlier, I think this team is, has everything out there in place. It's just a matter of going out there and executing and, 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 and just and winning ball games. I think sometimes, you know, when, when I, when I see stuff on, on social media, it's like, Oh, the rough part of this, the, the, the schedule is coming up or the hardest part. And it's like, why are we looking ahead at like three series from now when we haven't even played today's game. And I think sometimes, I don't know if the players sometimes are like looking at that. I, I would hope not, but it's like, man, tonight's game is the most important game and that that's all that matters. And and I think that's the way they got to approach it from here on out. It's not, oh, who, who are we facing tomorrow? Who are we facing the day after that? It's more just like the team in front of us now, we got to go out there and play a hard nine. And if we, and if we do that, the scoreboard's going to reward us. But, um, you know, and, 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 you know, it starts from, from everyone. I'm sure you talk to John Schneider, and, and it starts with him, and it ends with the 25th guy on that roster. So it's, it's a collective uh, group um, thing here, and, uh, and I hope they get it together, man, because, again, I, I mean, the, the Blue Jays always hold a dear spot, spot in my heart, and, and it, to see them struggling, it, it, it kind of stinks. Uh, another team, uh, just quickly before I let you go here, Ricky, another team that holds a big spot in your heart. Uh, I was I was so sad to see your Lakers eliminated by uh, Jamal Murray and the Denver Nuggets. Is uh, is LeBron done? What do you think? <laughs> I don't think so, man. I, the, if LeBron was done, you, I think he would have had a, like a farewell tour. There's no okay. way that guy's leaving without a farewell, farewell tour. I think he'll be back for sure. But, yeah, I mean, hey, that was a fun run. I don't think anybody yeah. in L.A. expected the Lakers to be there uh, after the way they started and all the drama that was going on there. So uh, it was a fun little ride, and, man, I just I, I wish they would have pulled it off. But Denver, Denver is, is the team to beat, I think. Yeah, I think so. As long as it's not the Celtics, right? I think, I think Raptors fans and no. Lakers fans can agree on that, as long as it's not the Celtics. Please, Jimmy, please, Jimmy, put these guys away already. (laughs) Ricky Romero of MLB Network Radio. Thanks for taking the time out, man. Have a great weekend. Absolutely. You too, Blake. Great talking to you. Ricky Romero, MLB Network Radio, former Toronto Blue Jay. Uh, Some great insight there into the mental side of what Alec Manoa could be going through right now. We know what the Jays are going through. They've lost 9 of 11. 2-13 Two and thirteen over the last fifteen against AL East opponents, down to twenty six and twenty five. Now it's the bottom of the American League East. 
it is several spots back of a wild card spot. And yeah, it's a little bit early to start looking at playoff positioning and things like that. And you maybe don't worry about the three games behind, but what you do worry about is that there are a lot of teams. They're pretty good in the American league. You don't have to play a divisional opponent for almost a month. Now you've got a couple weeks off from that. You're moving on to the AL central today against the Minnesota twins, the twins who have a better record than you better run differential than you, but you've got to go in there thinking, Hey, they're AL central inflated. And this is an opportunity to get out of the AL East, clear your head a little bit and start stacking up some wins and making up some ground. Uh, Kevin Gosman gets the ball to try to do exactly that tonight. He'll go head to head against Louis Varlin. That one's at eight o'clock tonight. Uh, I'll be on the radio call with Ben Wagner, Matt Devlin, and Joe Siddle have you on the TV side and Blair and Barker in their five to seven slot uh, as they are now. We'll take you through all the pregame stuff. I'd imagine we'll have a Carlos Correa update at that point as he's dealing with plantar fasciitis and could be headed for an IL stint for the twins, which would thin out an already pretty thin lineup. Uh, I'd imagine we'll get a Danny Jansen update at some point as well. He underwent an MRI yesterday. Uh, Tyler Heineman was with the team on the taxi squad as the Jays figure out uh, whether they're going to have to put Danny Jansen on the IL or not. Either way, they're going to need a little bit more out of Alejandro Kirk. Three hits yesterday, maybe a step in the right direction offensively, if not defensively in that one. Uh, if you are going to pick someone to try to get things right for you, Kevin Gosman, a pretty good bet. He'll go against Louis Varlin tonight again. Blair and Barker, five to seven. Thank you to Jonah Bierenbaum, to Doe, to Matty D, to Ricky Romero for coming on. Thanks to Jeff Azapardi, Lance Kennedy, and Jennifer Rolnick behind the glass. Jay's Talk Plus returns Monday at 10 a.m., on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and Sportsnet 360.